Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you so much for joining us again today on the program. I, I trust that you have been tuning in every week as we continue to unpack and develop uh, some of the concepts we're sharing uh, with you from the book of Revelation. And by the way, thank you so much for your positive response to many of the things we're saying via email uh, or through uh, calling the number on the screen. Uh, you truly encourage us to continue to dig a little bit deeper. I, I know and understand that we are sharing probably some uh, different concepts from the book of Revelation, but I, I'm convinced that this book is too multifaceted for anybody to think they've got a corner on it. What I really, my approach has been, and you've listened for several weeks, and if you have not, you can go back and uh, watch any of the programs we have aired to date. You can go back to our website, and the information is right there on the screen for our website, and it will take you to a link to YouTube where all of these videos have been uploaded to YouTube, and you can watch them at any time you would like to and kind of catch up with what we're saying because we've been building for 15, 16, 17 weeks and we've only got through maybe uh, about partway through chapter 2 of the book of Revelation. I, I don't know how long I'm going to continue teaching uh, on the book of Revelation. Uh, just, we'll just see uh, how that goes and how the response is. Uh, but uh, I would also say that we're teaching from a book that I wrote in 2007 called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And you can go to our website and order that or call the number on the screen and get a copy to follow along. Uh, I'm going to go back uh, today, though, and because I have a lot I want to cover. I'm going to go back to the uh, second chapter, the book of Revelation. We're dealing with the church at Thyatira. And I want to read the text first. This is chapter 3, verse 18. It says, Under the angel of the church, in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, whose eyes are like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know your works and charity, and service and faith, and thy patience, and thy works to be, uh, the work, and thy works, the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them which committed adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he that searches the reins of the hearts, and will give unto everyone according to their works. Works, But unto you... And uh, I say unto the rest of Thyatira, as many as have not known this doctrine, which have not known the depth of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that thou hold, the, but to keep that which thou hast, that thou which you have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And I'll give him the morning star, and he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, uh, again, I just get overwhelmed when I start to read this. But uh, this church at Thyatira, we've already shared with you that the word uh, Thyatira itself means the incense of affliction. What the Spirit of the Lord is doing to the church at Thyatira is giving her a revelation of what God smelled 
when the offering of Jesus was offered. In the book of Ephesians, it tells us that Jesus was offered to God a sweet-smelling savor uh, in the nostrils of God. It says this, the fragrance, it says, uh, and walk in love as Christ, this is Ephesians 5, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Now, uh, what he first of all gives them a revelation of is the savor that Christ was in fact the sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God. We dealt with in prior uh, programs how his feet were like fine brass as if they burned in a furnace and I believe in the last segment I talked about how the brass was a symbol of judgment and how you could go back to the tabernacle of Moses and you could see that if you laid the Jesus down literally over the tabernacle of Moses and once again uh, the furniture inside the tabernacle of Moses was arranged in the shape of a cross and all of it was at a bleeding spot. All of it has a picture of the redemptive work of Christ but his head if it was laying in the most holy place would be gold, his, his chest would be gold but his feet in the outer court would be of brass. There's two pieces of furniture in the outer court of the tabernacle and both of them uh, symbolize again judgment. The, the metal in the Old Testament, we've already talked about this, but uh, brass was a type of judgment. Uh, the outer court was showing you a judgment that was accomplished in the person and work of Jesus Christ and how that gave you access to be able to come into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus by a new and living way. We showed you how the altar last week where the blood was shed was the sin offering that was, uh, uh, you know, and even the fire from that, that uh, sin offering was used, a coal from that altar was used to ignite the incense offering in the holy place. So what really gives, uh, what really gives fire to the incense offering was that it came from a revelation of the judgment that Christ was for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. So uh, that's the incense. That's what he's revealing himself to this church. He's saying to this church at Thyatira, whose name means the incense of suffering, you need a revelation of Jesus Christ to you, of his suffering that brought you into a place of righteousness. The one whose eyes are like a flame of fire is also identified in the latter part of the book of Revelation as the one who gave you a white robe. The armies of heaven followed him uh, and they were arrayed in white robes, which speaks of the righteousness of the saints. So when I think about eyes as a flame of fire and feet like fine brass, he's simply saying, you need to see myself, or I'm sorry, you need to see yourself through my eyes like I see you when I see you through a judgment that was already accomplished in the personal work of Jesus Christ. Now one of the things he goes on to say to them is, I know your works in charity and your service and your faith and your patience and your works and the last to be more than the first. Now I want to stop for a moment and really kind of develop this a little bit. I know your works in charity and service and faith. Now, now see, let me say to you that works are not a bad thing. I believe that where we get mistaken is when we start teaching that we are saved by our works or that we are our works-based religious system is what qualifies us to be accepted uh, you know, by God. And the truth of it is, is that's an old covenant concept. Uh, the new covenant uh, really begins to teach that it's not by your works, lest any man should boast. Nevertheless, 
when he puts it in the context of here of works and charity, he's simply talking about a faith that works by love. In other words, uh, you know, we don't become spiritual couch potatoes simply because, uh, uh, you know, simply because we've got an understanding of the message of rest and the finished work of Christ. It simply means we are no longer trying to do something in order to get God's favor. We've already got something. We already have His favor. So there's some works that are not uh, part of a self-effort to carry negative connotation, but we're talking about a faith that produces works. See, what happens is when you really believe, what you really believe, uh, you will act on. Romans chapter number 1 says this. It says, uh, chapter, chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The just will live by faith. And what I, what I really begin to hear in my spirit is, what you really believe, you will act on. Let me give you another scripture before I really kind of just expound on this a little bit. Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse number 14, tells us that the love of Christ constrains us. In other words, when you really love Him, there is something that flows out of love. There is a faith that works by love. In other words, I'm going to say it like this. What you really believe, you will act on. If, I, if you were sitting, no matter, let's just say uh, you're sitting there in your living room and you're watching me, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, a prophetic word. Let's say I gave you a prophetic word, and I said to you, uh, Thus saith the Lord, uh, your house is going to blow up in the next 10 minutes. Now, can I tell you, if you really believed that, you would get up out of your chair and you would leave as quickly as you could. You would act on what you believe to be true. See, what happens to us many times is, is that we don't really believe we're righteous, so we don't act like we're righteous. But the just will live by faith. In other words, uh, in other words, if I believe I'm righteous, I'm going to act like I'm righteous. If I believe I'm, I'm a new creation, I'm going to act like a new creation. If I believe I've been made holy and blameless and spotless by the blood of Jesus, I'm going to act that way. And uh, I, because, you know, truly, you know, uh, uh, right believing does produce right living. Our, our, our problem is, is we've got a faith problem. And number one, uh, we, it, let me say again, because we've made faith such a works. We've made it uh, about, you know, your, your human effort and sweat. Again, even faith. But the truth of it is, is that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But if you put that in your, uh, in my computer, the drop-down box for the interlinear Bible says, it says, faith comes by hearing the Word about Christ. So I'm convinced that we've never preached anything for people to believe. Say it another way. I used to, you know, I used to sit in, in, in church years ago, and I admire and honor those that I sat under. They did the best they could with what they knew. But week after week, what they would preach is not who we were in Christ. They would dismantle and browbeat and talk about our sin and how bad we were, who we were in Adam until literally, I mean, they preached such a sin consciousness to me that I had a struggle even believing I was born again. As a matter of fact, they would get up and say, you want me to name sin? And they would continue to name sin and preach stuff that wasn't even in the Bible. And by the time they got done naming sin, I thought I thought I was saved before I got in this meeting. But now, you know, after they get done naming sin, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. And I used to go to the altar about every week and sometimes, uh, you know, a midweek. 
I called a midweek courtesy dip. I'd go back to the altar because they talked me out of my salvation because they never told me who I was. And so, you know, I would go places and then people say, well, well, what do you all believe up at that church? And most of the time what we do is we tell people what we don't believe. I say, well, we don't believe. You know that, I mean, back in those days it was a sin to cut your hair. I said, we don't believe that women ought to cut their hair. Uh, we don't believe that you should watch TV. I can remember when it was a sin to watch TV. We don't believe you ought to go to the movies. We don't believe women ought to dress in men's apparel. We don't believe that you ought to, uh, you know, eat devil's food cake. I can remember them preaching against that. Deviled ham, deviled everything. I mean, everything was a sin. So people would say, well, what do you all believe up at that church? And I'd say, well, we don't believe that, that you, you can do this. We don't believe that you should wear a short sleeve shirt. We don't believe you should wear jewelry. We don't believe you should watch TV. We don't believe you should go to the movies. And what happened was, I began to realize I had sat right in church, listen to me, and become an unbeliever because they never taught me anything to believe. Now, if you ask me what I believe today, I'm going to tell you I believe I'm the righteousness of God. I've seen His feet that are fine brass and I could tell you that I'm, I have seen his eyes like a flame of fire. I have seen myself through his eyes. Hallelujah. And I've seen that his judgment was my judgment. And what that exacted for me was it made me the righteousness of God. And the righteous, uh, hallelujah, the just will live by faith. And when you get a conviction of righteousness and you are convicted that you are righteous, you will have some works that flow out of that that are not trying to manufacture favor with God, but simply because you believe you're, you are what God said you are. I, I'm, I'm convinced that right now there's such a massive shift because of the gospel of grace that people are stronger believers than they've ever been. And I, I just challenge you to hold steady the course and continue to preach a gospel that continues to, to, to cause us to live from faith to faith. Not putting a veil over people's face to see what's wrong with them, where they can't see the end of what's abolished, but showing them and bringing them back to, as I've already said, a revelation of Jesus to you that produces a revelation of Jesus through you. And people will begin to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And when they really fall in love with Jesus, love will be a greater constraint than anything you have ever put under them of fear and rules and regulations. I'll tell you right now, man, love will make people do crazy things. It'll make you drive halfway across the country. It'll make you uh, drop a credit card on a table when you can't afford a high-end meal. It'll, it'll make you do a whole, because love is a most powerful motivator. It's even stronger than fear, in my opinion. And I believe the problem has been is that we have motivated people through fear and tyranny, and we've not motivated them, uh, you know, by, by faith. And so uh, when I believe that what happens is, is that uh, the gospel, when it's preached, the scripture said it reveals the righteousness of God from faith to faith. Now let me show you something else uh, also. If uh, we could just turn over here into the book of James. I'm going to try to get there real quickly. But the book of James uh, begins to say some things that I think are very, very powerful uh, about. And, you know, again, sometimes people are... Uh, they, they want to argue even about the book of James. Was it canonical? Is it in opposition to Paul's writings? I really don't see it as an opposition. I really think that what he's talking about is the thing I'm talking about this morning. Uh, but James chapter 2, in verse number 18, it says, 
well, let's, let's look at verse 17. Even so faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. In other words, real faith causes action. I, I could go even into uh, 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 Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the great hall of faith chapter. Everything that, uh, you know, he starts out by saying, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, is the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand Noah built an ark to the saving of his house. By faith Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but he kept the Passover. By faith Abraham when he was called to go out into a place, left not knowing where he was going. By faith he offered up Isaac, his own son. What I see in Hebrews 11 faith is that every one of these men of faith, and I could literally teach this for weeks out of Hebrews 11, every one of these men of faith did something in the visible realm that was a picture of the redemptive work of Christ. Abraham offers up his son Isaac. If that's not a picture of God offering up his son Jesus, literally on the very same mountain, uh, I, I don't know what it is. So by faith, Abraham did something in the visible realm that was a picture of what he was hoping would come in the future. By faith, Moses kept the Passover. See, that's a picture. Moses did something in the visible realm that was a picture of something he was hoping for would come somewhere in his future. By faith, Noah builds an ark to the saving of his house. That ark is a picture of Jesus Christ who is our ark of safety. He is our vehicle out of an old world dominated by sin and the curse. And he is the vehicle that carries us out of that into a new world to land on a mountain called Ararat, which by the way, Ararat means the curse is reversed. So everything these people did in Hebrews 11 by faith was a picture of something they were hoping for in the visible realm. But see, now faith for us is we're not doing... See, Hebrews 11 faith is what I call author faith. Hebrews 12 faith is what I call finisher faith. Because now we are looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. In other words, I'm not believing anymore because I think God is going to do something. I believe because he already has done something. I'm not in Hebrews 11 faith building an ark or offering up my son because I hope God somewhere in the future is going to do that. For me, now faith is a substance. And that substance is Christ and his finished work because it tells us in Hebrews 11 that these all died not having received the promise because God had some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. The better thing he had for us was the person and work of Jesus Christ and these men did something in the visible realm that literally motivated them either to build an ark, to offer up a son or whatever. Now the good news to me is I'm not looking at author faith, I'm looking at finisher faith. I'm looking unto Jesus who's the author and finisher of my faith. Let's make it as practical as I know how to. Well, that simply means then that if I believe, I'm righteous. And one of the things that I've done is continue to preach a word that brings people back to their real identity and preach who they are in Christ. I have tried to give them a revelation of Jesus Christ. I have tried to put them in, uh, uh, like I shared last week, to bring them into a place where uh, we look even into the mirror of the Word of God 
not to see what's wrong with us, but to see who we are in our new identity. Years ago, uh, at least 20 years ago, the Lord spoke to me in, in, in Florida, and He said to me, uh, you're going to have to decide who you're going to preach to. I said, what are you saying, Lord? He said, you're either going to preach to Adam and try to modify the behavior of an old man, or you're going to develop mature and feed the new man. You've got to decide who you're going to preach to. And when I begin to decide, I'm not going to modify the behavior of an old creation. I'm going to reckon him dead, and I'm going to preach to a new creation man. And when I'm in audiences across the country teaching the Word of God, I'm constantly trying to bring them into their new identity. To me, that's the balance of the message of grace, is that faith and a revelation of who you are hallelujah, will begin to cause works and to flow from charity. And those are not bad things. He says to them, you know, uh, your works are, are uh, uh, to the church of Thyatira, he said, uh, your works are greater than they were to, in the beginning. I know your faith and your charity and your works, and your works to be greater than they were in the beginning. Because the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more you're going to want to do the things that please Him. I believe that's a real balance to this message is, is that, you know, like I said, we want to preach, uh, last week I talked about we want to preach the objective side of the gospel and not preach the subjective side of the gospel. We want to talk all about the way of grace but not the walk of faith and it's not either or, it's all of the above. It's not just the objective side of the gospel or the extreme Calvinistic views and it's not uh, simply, uh, it, what we do is we either preach that and that's it. Or we get over here and we preach man's works, man's will, Arminianism, and we, we start preaching the works-based thing that gets me this. But the truth of it is, it is not either or. It is faith that works by love. When I see the grace of God, and I believe that's why there's a real emphasis, again, uh, on the grace of God. And what's tragic is this church at Thyatira should have transitioned 2,000 years ago, and here we are still facing some of the same dilemmas. See, this was a message to the church in the first century to repent and change because he said to them at Thyatira, you know, uh, you've got Jezebel there and she's teaching you some things. You're eating things offered to idols. To me, Jezebel is not a physical woman, but a, a, a mentality uh, that makes you uh, uh, sell your inheritance. I believe if you go back and you look in the book of Kings, uh, one of the things that, that Jezebel was judged for is she literally set Naboth up to kill him and murder him so he could she could take his vineyard and give it to Ahab. And I believe one of the things that has been a Jezebel spirit in the American church is it's anything that tries to get us to give up our inheritance, especially when it's connected to a vineyard. Because when I think about a vineyard, I can't help but think about the bread and wine of the new covenant. And so anything that would make you give up your inheritance in Christ is a Jezebel spirit that seduces you away from uh, your true identity. And so, you know, as I, as I begin to, to uh, uh, hear these things about faith and faith, faith that works by love, I begin to see that what you truly believe, like I said, you will act on. And uh, I, I believe that when you really hear the gospel and you really realize that, you know, the scripture talks about, for instance, in the book of Hebrews, it says, for by one offering he, uh, that we are sanctified. Let me say it like this. Hebrews, the 10th chapter said, we are sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then it goes on to say in that same chapter, a few verses below that, for one offering he has perfected forever 
them that are sanctified. I believe that once you really get a revelation of what He's done in us, then you're going to see a revelation of what flows through us. I, I, I could give this example as well. Uh, you, you, you know, I, I, I believe that as you, as you really embrace uh, looking into the mirror of the Word of God, James again in the book of James, and he's not a bad guy, but James says you will become a doer of the Word and not a hearer only when you look into the mirror of the Word of God. In verse number uh, 22 of James 1, he says, But be ye doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself and goes his way, straightway forgets what manner man he was. But whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. In other words, he said, if you look into the mirror, and you look into the perfect law of liberty, the only way you can be a hearer of the Word and not a doer is to look into the Word of God and see your natural face. The word natural face there is the Greek word Genesis. When you look into the Word and you see your Genesis face or the face of your new beginning, if I could say it like that, or the face of your new birth, the only way you can be a hearer of the Word and not a doer is to go your way and forget that the man in the mirror is the new man and forget what manner of man you truly are. You know, I could use this principle even in showing how to raise kids. You can either look at your child and say, you worthless little brat, you'll never amount to nothing and you'll be in prison by the time you're 20 and that child will believe that and probably grow up to fulfill your prophecy. But if you look at them and say, you are too good of a child to act like that, that's not who you are. And you continue to bring them into a new and fresh revelation and continue to bring them into their identity. At some point, they'll become what I call believers. And when they believe they're righteous and they believe they're, 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 they're uh, uh, sons of God, the children of God, they will act like it. I challenge you to preach something positive. Uh, Paul the Apostle wrote to Philemon and he said to them that the communication of your faith is by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in them. Works are not bad. They are works that flow from charity and from faith. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is, I believe, powerful stuff. Uh, we're about to run out of time. Tune in again next week. We're going to try to at least do one more segment on the church at Thyatira. I trust you are being blessed by what you're hearing. Uh, tell your friends about us and tune in. Take a moment to sit down and write to us. The address will come up on the screen. Uh, sow a seed into the ministry. Call the number on the screen. They're available standing by, even by way of credit card. Support the gospel of grace, and it helps us take it around the world. Thank you for joining us. This series is about living life in the context of sonship. Jesus is recognized as a son in the River Jordan by his father. Flowing from his identity as a son, Jesus comes up out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit with incredible demonstrations of the miraculous. He introduces to his followers the new covenant idea that God is more than just an austere judge. He is our Father. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Let us awaken to our true identity and set creation free.